Chapter One Two Months Later She was going to seduce him. Alexandra O'Neill stood beside her hotel room bed and surveyed the contents of the suitcase lying open before her, its bright and frilly occupants spilling haphazardly out onto the quilt. She had tossed everything she could think of into the case when she'd left this morning, since she'd had so little time to prepare. She'd only mentioned this idea to Nick last week, and now, only this morning, he'd told her it was a go, and to get her gear together for a week in the mountains with Eric Johansson. Or rather, Daniel Briggs, as he was now known. Damned if she would ever get used to calling him that. She should have known Nick Sullivan would make it happen quickly and efficiently. As commander of Phoenix Group International, he was used to efficiency. And stealthy ops, which this was most definitely going to be. She just hadn't thought it would be quite this quick and efficient. She should have known better. But there was no point in backing out now. Not after she had spent the last two weeks convincing Nick that as PGI's team doctor, she knew she could help Eric. That she alone knew the extent of what had been done to him. How he had been changed. And, thankfully, what needed to be done to help. True, she hadn't mentioned everything that she planned to accomplish up there in the cabin with him. But she had told Nick the truth, as far as the medical interventions were concerned. The fact that she had planned some good old-fashioned sex with Eric as part of those interventions, well... That was something best left unsaid. Now she just needed the courage to actually do it. She glanced mournfully at the lacy lingerie and negligees in her case and knew suddenly that they were all wrong. She'd do better to bring simple items, plain bras and panties, little tees, classic form-fitting things. Eric didn't need sexual cues. He didn't need artifice, makeup, or sexy underwear. In fact, he'd probably hate those kinds of things. He didn't want a courtesan or a stripper, or outfits that made a woman look like one. He just wanted her. She knew he wanted her. Every time she thought of it, she felt a flush of something like pride and embarrassment mixed together. She had never been the kind of woman to assume that men wanted her. She'd spent most of high school and college as the nerdy, wannabe med student, too busy for boys, completely unconcerned with her sex appeal or lack thereof. She hadn't done much to enhance her looks as an adult, either. She usually kept her long brown hair tied in a loose French knot, or in a casual ponytail, didn't wear much makeup to accent her hazel eyes, didn't bedeck herself with jewelry, or drift around in a cloud of perfume. She was plain in every sense of the word, and although friends and the odd boyfriend had told her she was slender and pretty, she'd always felt that this was just something friends said, to be kind. But in spite of that, she had no doubt that Eric Johansson wanted her. Badly. She'd picked up on his attraction to her months ago. It had been as thick as smoke in the air sometimes, crackling with intensity between them. He'd watch her, his steel-blue eyes following her as she entered or left the room. His face may have been a mask of non-emotion, but his eyes were active and hungry, always on her. 
Sometimes she'd catch a hint of that gentle smile that almost never appeared, that sweet, boyish smile that belied the strength and power of the man he'd become. Sometimes he'd gaze at her with such undisguised need that it made her breath catch. He wanted her, but she knew he would never act on it. It was partly due to his rock-solid sense of honor. She was the team doctor, and as part of his team, she was off limits, or so he seemed to think. Aiden and Taya Blake were married and worked together daily, but Alex knew that Eric didn't approve of their union either, for the same reasons. And it wasn't because of the usual prohibition against doctors becoming involved with their patients either, because he wasn't a typical patient. He would never let her treat his wounds or patch up his scrapes, and it seemed to her as though he didn't trust himself around her. Either that, or he didn't want her to see any vulnerability in him. Even a mere scrape was a weakness he had been trained to ignore. The trouble was, he ignored most of his injuries, minor or otherwise, despite her constant pleas and admonitions. He was infuriating, frustrating, pig-headed and stubborn, a six-foot-four-inch Swedish brick wall for whom the phrase attitude problem had been invented. And she was utterly in love with him. She'd known it almost from the moment they'd met. It sounded cliché and wildly, improbably romantic, especially for a trained scientist like she was. But the moment she'd seen him, something had clutched at her heart and never let go. It wasn't just his looks, she knew that. Every man on the team was better looking than the last. They were all fine physical specimens due to their special forces background, and as a doctor, she was used to looking at such well-honed male physiques. So while Eric had the rugged good looks that could have graced the covers of men's magazines, she was attracted to something much more profound than mere beauty, mere masculine strength. It was something in his quiet demeanor, something in his incongruously gentle manner, the way he listened to her when they spoke, the conflict in his eyes. He was whip-smart, could be bitingly funny when he was in a good mood, and was willing to give his life for anyone lucky enough to be called a friend. He was trying so desperately to be a good man, she knew, to rid himself of his demons and find his own soul again, to once again be the decent, noble man he had been. Before before everything had gone wrong, before his life had been ripped away from him and his very being had been changed, before the abduction, the surgeries, the nightmare he was still living through. And if he hadn't saved her life, she would never have discovered that he was in love with her, too. She thought back on that day, two months ago now, and idly rubbed at the scar left by the bullet that had torn through her spleen and nearly killed her. She had only the vaguest recollection of being shot. She had been with the girl, Elizabeth, and then a man had appeared in the doorway. He'd fired when she turned to face him, and after that, so much was a blur, so much was lost. Only fragments of memories existed now, distorted visions and sounds and feelings, so much of it hazy and unclear. Only one thing standing out clearly in the depths of her confused memory. What Eric had whispered to her in the back of the van as it sped away. Stay with me, my love. I love you.
He'd been there in the hospital, too, never leaving her room. He didn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. That was one of the things his barbaric abductors had accomplished. But when he managed to rest, he stretched himself out in a small chair and just watched her, often when he hadn't known she was awake and watching him back. She'd heard him sometimes, through her sedated haze, arguing with Nick, who had insisted he leave. But Eric had refused. The only thing that had finally made him leave was when Nick had accused him of being in love with her. That had made him storm from the room on a muttered curse and not return. Afterwards, Eric hadn't been the same. Out of control rage, insubordination, a hair trigger. Flying off the handle, taking stupid chances and endangering the team. That's when Alex had gone to Nick and begged him to let her help. Nick had been on the verge of cutting Eric from the team, and it was only through her constant cajoling, her persistent, stubborn hounding of him, that he'd finally caved and agreed to let her try. So now, armed with a plan for both his medical needs and his sexual ones, she was about to embark on the craziest, most ambitious mission of her life. He loved her. She loved him. If circumstances or pride or a discomfort with showing emotion was keeping them from each other, then a week alone in the mountains with nothing but each other would certainly dispense with all of it. Wouldn't it? His seduction was just about a foregone conclusion, wasn't it? Oh, please God, let it be a foregone conclusion, she breathed out shakily, catching a glimpse of herself in the mirror opposite the bed. Please let this work. She stuffed the lacy lingerie into a side pocket of the case and examined the rest of the contents, satisfied in general with what she saw. She had been clear-headed enough to bring heavy-duty winter socks, a few wool sweaters, and thick fleece pajamas. She had no idea how cold it might get up there in the cabin or whether she might end up sleeping alone the whole time, so she'd had to think ahead. Nick had promised her the cabin had all the modern conveniences, including oil heat to supplement the fireplace, but a log cabin on a forlorn mountainside probably never got really warm. If she was lucky, she thought idly, Eric's large, strong body would keep her nice and cozy on those long, cold nights. The shrill of the phone made her jump. She fumbled for it and answered, clearing her throat. <clears throat> yes, hello. Ready to roll out in 15? Nick's no-nonsense voice greeted her. Ready now. Good. Listen, he paused. I know we've been over this, but I just want to make sure you're still clear on what you're dealing with here. I know, Nick, she sighed. I know what he's like. He's a hard case, I know, but I can help him. He's not just a hard case. He's a fucking naphod. You have your work cut out for you, Doc. She smiled into the phone. Naphod. No apparent fear of death an unofficial military term for a reckless risk-taker. Don't call him that. He's not that bad. Yeah, well, Nick grumbled. I just hope you can handle him up there by yourself. Are you sure you don't want me to leave you a sat phone or something, in case you get into trouble? He's not gonna hurt me, Nick. You know that. Damn right he won't. I wouldn't send you up there with him if I thought that was even a possibility. But even still, he can be a real... Well, a real what? She prompted. He can be a real fucking asshole is what he can be. 
I wouldn't be able to stand two days alone with him, and he's like a brother to me. For the briefest moment, she considered telling him about the other aspect of this op. But whether it was her sheltered upbringing or her stubborn sense of professionalism, she just couldn't reveal something so personal and private, and certainly not something that involved Eric in that way. If she did manage to seduce Eric, if they did spend the week making love and enjoying each other, Nick would never have to know it had been part of her plan all along. And if something went wrong and they didn't, she wouldn't be able to stand the humiliation of Nick's knowing how tragically she'd failed. Besides, Nick was still getting over what had happened between his sister, Taya, and Aidan Blake. They had been forced together on a mission and come out of it engaged, much to Nick's chagrin. He'd had enough inter-team romance to last a lifetime. I need to discuss my treatment plans with him, she said instead. We need to work out some plan for how to deal with some of the enhancements his abductors made to him. I promise when we get back, he'll be a good operator again. I hope so, Nick said. I really do, Alex, but this is his last chance. If you can't get him back on track, well, you know I can't trust him on future assignments. I know, she said. I'm going to do my best. You know his temper, Alex. I don't think this is going to be an easy week for you. Nick's voice had softened into a less military tone and into something more fraternal, more caring. I know he won't hurt you, but he's going to be impossible. Impossible, she teased. Just takes a little longer. All right, then, he sighed. I warned you. See you in 15. She replaced the phone and sat on the edge of the bed for a moment. Nick was just being overprotective, in that big brother to all way he had with his team. Especially with her and Taya, the only two female members of PGI. And since Taya actually was his little sister, and had gone through her own hell before joining his team, Alex could easily see how his brotherly concern spilled over onto her, too. Trouble was, when it came to Eric, he also happened to be right. Eric had been one of the Fallen Twelve, the doomed Army Ranger unit that Nick had commanded three years ago. Their ODA, Operational Detachment A, had been led into a slaughter, betrayed by one of their own brothers, or so the story went. They had been completely outflanked, outmanned and outgunned by a terrorist cell they had been sent in on a direct action to destroy, but every one of the twelve had been killed that night instead. Every one of them, except Nick Sullivan and Aidan Blake, who had been found wounded but alive by local villagers, taken into their homes and cared for in a seemingly inconceivable act of humanity, given how U.S. soldiers were viewed in that part of the world. They had been left for dead, and survived only to find their own government had abandoned them, had covered up the botched DA, had denied the intel had been fake, and instead blamed it all on the unit's intelligence specialist. Nick had often told her of how chilling it had been to watch his own funeral at Arlington, to watch his father receive the neatly folded flag, and to know that the government that was supposedly honoring a fallen hero was actually burying an empty coffin and an atrocious lie. Phoenix Group had been born then. Like a phoenix, rising from the ashes, Nick said. A private paramilitary security force, capable of carrying out operations no government could publicly condone. A chance for he and Aiden, under new identities, to restore some meaning to their lives and do the work they'd been trained to do. They were dead men, 
to the government, to their families, to the world. But they could live on under new names and with a new purpose, at least. And it was through PGI that they had discovered, two years ago now, that they hadn't lost ten brothers that long ago night. They'd lost nine. A third member of their unit, Weapons Sergeant Eric Johansson, had also survived. But the path his life had taken after that night had been very different from that of Nick and Aiden's. So very different. A path Alex wouldn't have even dreamed possible if she hadn't witnessed the results with her own eyes. She got up slowly from the bed and went to the window, peeking through the closed curtains and out into the parking lot below. It was easier, sometimes, to focus on the normal, the everyday, whenever her thoughts turned to how strange and surreal her life was now. She watched a family emerge from a minivan that had pulled up to the hotel's front door, the kids hopping out with the boundless energy of childhood while Mom gathered their copious belongings and Dad got the bags. So simple, a life like theirs, she thought. Problems that seemed insurmountable to them, issues that kept them awake at night, were so ordinary, so mundane, so easy, she thought. Her life had been like that once. Her life had been a series of problems that weren't really problems. She had never known what hardship was, what grief and loss and pure impotent rage really looked like, what hell on earth truly was, until Eric Johansson came into her life. He hadn't been lucky enough to be taken in by compassionate villagers. He had been taken in by something else altogether. And in the years that had followed, he had told her more than once that he wished he had been killed that night, along with the rest of his brothers. They had found him in a medical facility, somewhere in Africa. Nick never did tell her where. He and Aiden and a four-man team of ex-Navy SEALs had raided the facility and liberated Eric, returning him, comatose, to their operations base in California. She clearly remembered how silent it had been that night in her medical bay as she'd sat quietly reviewing charts. Then the doors had banged open and the team had burst in, pushing a gurney with a large, blonde man on it, an IV snaking out of his arm. Through shouts and urgent commands, they had delivered their new patient to her, explaining breathlessly everything they knew about his condition, which was almost nothing, and told her it was up to her to save his life. She'd stood almost paralyzed with fear, rooted to the spot as she'd looked down at him. There was nothing outwardly amiss, no injuries, no trauma, no signs of distress, other than a healed gunshot wound she assumed had come from the night of the ambush. His vitals were normal, if a little erratic, but on the surface there had seemed to be nothing wrong with him. Tess confirmed his coma had been medically induced, and without a steady supply of barbiturates to keep him in that state, he awoke quickly enough, dazed, utterly disoriented, and enraged. That had been the beginning, the beginning of a story that had both fascinated and horrified her and everyone else on the team. He had been held prisoner since the night of the ambush. He didn't know by whom. He didn't know how they had found him or how they had secreted him away to their facility. He knew they were government-funded, judging by the state-of-the-art facilities. He just didn't know whose government and didn't want to know. All he really knew was what they had done to him, and why. They, the mysterious, masked figures he never got a clear look at, had subjected him to a series of intensive medical experiments, 
the purpose of which, as she later determined, had been to create a stronger, faster, deadlier soldier. A killing machine that could outfight, outsmart, outlive any other combatant he encountered. A super soldier. They had pumped him full of hormones and drugs, changed his very body chemistry, increased his strength and aggression and disrupted his sleep. Sedated, in a haze of confusing images and what she could only imagine had to be almost unbearable torment, they had worked on him for nearly six months before Nick's team had located and rescued him. Now, nearly two years later, he was still suffering the after-effects. Thirty percent stronger than the average man, more aggressive, more alert, always on guard and itching for a fight, all but sleepless, existing on barely an hour a night, and with a sex drive three times that of an average man. He was living in hell, he had told her more than once, a hell she was determined to end. And so here she was, about to ambush him for the third time in his life. He had no idea what was in store for him. She didn't either, frankly. Her hands shook as she closed up her suitcase and fumbled with the zipper. In all likelihood, when he found out why they were there, he would just leave. Or try to. Nick had assured her that the cabin was beyond remote, the former enclave of a dot-com billionaire who had wanted absolute isolation when he'd needed a retreat. There was no cell coverage, no internet, and she'd refused the sat phone idea. With no way to communicate with the team, with the nearest town a three-day hike down the mountain, he'd be practically at her mercy. But, knowing him, he might just pack a rucksack and hike out, living off the land for a few days until he picked up the interstate. This might just end up being the biggest mistake of her life. But she had to try. <laughs>